Hello, everyone. Thanks for choosing to listen to episode 92 of the Health Unchained podcast today. Before introducing our guest, I have a couple things to share with you since my last episode. The war in Ukraine continues with over 4 million refugees crossing the border into various neighboring states. Blockchain doesn't solve war, at least not yet. I was very pleased to see SolveCare taking care of its employees and their communities by providing shelters for them and providing insulin shipments to their communities as well. Pradeep Goal, founder of SolveCare from episode 28, and the SolveCare company are setting up a new legal entity in Hungary for their recently evacuated Ukrainian team members. Great leadership in challenging times. I wish the SolveCare team and all suffering people safety and good health. The U.S. Federal Reserve has requested public comments on their central bank digital currency discussion paper. I'm pretty sure CBDCs are coming to a state near you. It's going to be a while before we can separate money from state control. Do you know how long it took for religion to be separated from the state? Centuries. No, millennia. Do you think we'll ever have self-sovereign finance? All I know is programmable money and tokens will disrupt many industries, especially healthcare. Eventually. Check out the show notes for more information about the discussion paper. Today's episode is featuring Everardo Barojas, PhD, co-founder and CEO of Prescripto, which is based in Mexico and focuses on generating and validating electronic prescriptions, running on their own centralized DLT implementation called RexChain. Despite their relatively small team, they've partnered with Walmart and Amazon for their pharmacy offerings and pharmacists in Mexico. They've also partnered with other pharmacies and pharmacist groups in the country. I thought this conversation was very interesting and encouraging. I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to any of these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Everardo Barajas, PhD, and he also has started and founded Prescripto. So Everardo, just thank you so much for joining me today. We have a lot to talk about. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the audience, and then we can kind of dig into what you're working on, what you've been doing. Thanks, Ray. It's a pleasure to be here. I got into the crypto space as an angel investor in one of the first Bitcoin exchanges in Mexico. I've been working full-time on it since roughly 2014, and I'm a mechatronics engineer by trade, and I did my PhD studying structure of a blockchain through network theory. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about your experience in that more financial space before you got into healthcare? So before I transitioned into the startup space, I was an academic, and I have 
a friend who was getting into Bitcoin since roughly 2011. We were reading up about it and he was really into it way more than I was. After we both did, did some work together and some work apart, he founded this company. The way it happened was he went, he went viral on a Reddit post on Bitcoin. And, and Reddit Bitcoin was back in the day. It was where everything happened. Crypto Twitter was not a thing. And you know, that company took, took off and he was raising some money. I, I invested a very small ticket went into that space back when the major problem was wallet UX, which is just now becoming important. We're seeing a lot of stuff developing with wallets and, and with NFTs, but you know, back then it was all about how, how to make people actually use, use Bitcoin. And we were spending a lot of resources on what we thought the future for Bitcoin and to, to an extent, the rest of cryptocurrencies, which we, we saw uh, Litecoin come to life. I remember we, we were also having a beer in Puerto Vallarta watching the original Ethereum sale. Uh, very different times. Yes. Those times were very uncertain. It felt like the beginning of something special, but also at the same time, you might be throwing all your money away. <laughs> now I feel there's more belief in this crypto economy. And every day that passes, it seems like that's more true and true. It's really interesting to see how fast we've come just in the, only a few years. So one thing I'm curious about is when you start a company and you're thinking about the different ways you can develop your strategy, for you, when you were thinking about developing and building Prescripto, what were some of the considerations you had to think about before going ahead and... Well, because I have been an early hire of that Bitcoin exchange, I had seen like the beginning of a company before. So I wasn't doing it for the first time. Granted, I had learned through somebody else's mistakes and through somebody else's eyes uh, because I was a hire. I guess you could call me management team, but <laughs> there was no one to manage below just because of, of, of the level that I was involved. So it was very focused on finding traction, getting customers. That was basically what we were doing. We didn't even formalize anything until we had the first sale had written the first prototype and that prototype had been used. So let's talk about Prescripto as a company. What do you do? We have the mission to make electronic prescriptions viable in Mexico and Latin. So what we do is, if you think about the whole life cycle and the whole journey from when the doctor is creating the prescription, going through when the patient receives that prescription and then he fulfills that prescription at his pharmacy, all of the tools necessary for that to happen. And that means interactions with the doctor, interactions with the patient, interactions with the pharmacy, the communication protocol between them. And that's in essence, the blockchain part. Right. And there are companies, digital prescription companies that are trying to help patients manage their prescriptions. Can you just dive a little bit deeper into, let's start with the patient, maybe what is their experience? And then we can go into maybe how a pharmacist or provider interacts with Prescripto? Sure. So one of the differences between the Mexican and Latin American market and the American market is that over here, everything's doctor driven. So our journey starts with the doctor and doctors onboard patients kind of automatically. So if your doctor uses Prescripto, then you receive 
a prescription via prescriptor, whether it be printed or a WhatsApp message. The way the patient interacts with this is very related to how we think he expects to relate to a digital prescription. So there are a bunch of digital things that the patient has experience interacting with. An example is an e-ticket or the ticket for a flight that you get on an email. So he basically interacts with a QR code that at some point is scanned and that QR code and the email that he gets, that's not the ticket, right? It's a representation. Perhaps uh, they'll be able to find the ticket with the information stored in that QR code. That's the same way that he deals with prescriptions on our platform. You get a WhatsApp message with, with a QR code. That QR code will be validated by the pharmacy. And if everything's okay, he'll be able to fulfill that prescription. I see. So how does blockchain or Web3 come into play for Prescripto for patients? Can you explain that a little bit more and explain it to a patient that might consider using it? That's a tough question because we don't explain it to patients. I mean, it's not something they need to know. I mean, it's not that we hide it from them or anything. It's just he doesn't need to know this. So he, he can read about it, but it's not necessary for his interaction with the system. So I would say you have the two basic paradigms of how data is stored. And a good analogy there is traditional banking software where you have the master slave, read-only and write databases. That's the airline ticket example. And to an extent, the e-prescription implementation in the US and in most places around the world. Uh, and you have the blockchain idea where it's more decentralized or everything's horizontal. There's also the auditability part that's very, very important for us because on the public system, on the blockchain system, anyone can audit that a prescription exists. And you have this suite of cryptographic tools that help you validate that a prescription has not been modified without exposing the private data. So this is an argument that has no solution. Sure, you can do this without blockchain, but you can do it with blockchain and it has some advantages and disadvantages. Like exposing some of this data makes the system more robust, but it also kind of exposes a little bit more surface area. And on the other hand, having a closed system, if you do get a breach, then all of the data is exposed. Whereas on the blockchain, because everything's encrypted with private keys, you, you would get fractional exposure. Yes. And I think that's actually a really important point because we are seeing lots of hacks and breaches into many centralized organizations, companies, even governments now too. So the risk for one company losing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people's information at the same time is really concerning. I can go a little bit deeper on the, on the Web3 part. So because the data is persisted in this public blockchain, so Prescripto is essentially wallet software for the doctor that's writing transactions on a blockchain with the structured clinical data. So each prescription is an NFT. And we've done this since before NFTs were sexy. So we've done this since roughly 2017. That means that we've persisted about 650,000, something like that, prescriptions or individual NFTs. That's an amazing number. That's congrats. That's actually really impressive. And each one of those belongs to the doctor that created it. The interesting part about this is, you know, pharmaceutical laboratories are used to consuming data that 
comes from prescription. In the legacy system, this is data that is scanned from handwritten prescriptions and then digitized. Right? Look, they use this data to kind of understand how the market is doing and to calibrate their sales force and to understand a bunch of sometimes strategic decisions and sometimes operative decisions related to the bonuses of the sales reps that are, are visiting different doctors. And in the digital system, this is the same. We offer dashboards that pharmaceutical companies can use to audit anonymized data. One of the really cool things about the way that the architecture of the system works is that laboratories can't know the identity of the doctor and the patient from the prescription, but they can offer to buy the data directly from the doctor. And the doctor, this gives the doctor an insight into how the business model really works. It gives them a little bit more power to negotiate with different laboratories. And it gives him the power to say, no, he can say, no, I don't want to share my data with this stuff. I don't want to. And he can say no, like an NFT data marketplace, except instead of buying individual NFTs, prescriptions are generally worth more if they're bundled. So a pharma lab will want to buy a bundle of maybe a couple hundred or a couple thousand prescriptions from the most important prescribing doctors. That is interesting. Yeah. You're providing this business solution layer as well in your dashboard platform. Do you have any unique challenges or benefits from working in Mexico and Latin America? Well, we have almost no competition. We had no competition for the first three years of our existence. And now, you know, there are companies that are starting to do most exactly what, what we're doing, which I think is a validation that we're solving an important problem. It was kind of lonely before. No one else was doing what we were doing. And so pitching was a little bit harder. There was no reference. Now we at least have some stick to measure ourselves with. Our growth is more impressive if there's someone else's growth to compare it with. Since you have that extra years of experience as a company, is the network effect that you've developed sufficient enough, you think, to carry you to be the leader in the space, at least in Mexico and Latin America? Or do you think that you are concerned with some of the maybe new features or additional services other companies are working on? I'm biased. I'm biased to answer that question. I'm, I'm not sure if I can be totally objective, but I think our advantage comes from being really focused on solving the problem that the doctor has in relation to communicating the prescription to the patient in the best possible way. And we've created a bunch of strategies and these prescriptions as NFTs that reward early and active usage of the platform is one of them uh, that, that benefit the driving force in the ecosystem that's the doctors. As I said, in Mexico and Latin, it's a doctor-driven space. So I think this is one of the conceptual things that we're doing very, very differently from the competition. But there's also a bunch of modes, like our legal understanding is, I would say, just better just out of the fact that we've looked at this for longer. And in November last year, we onboarded Walmart Mexico as a pharmacy provider. These alliances take, take time. It's a process that you cannot go faster through it, even if you have more money or new money. So I'm pretty confident. Let's dive a little bit into the technical architecture of the platform. First question would be, which blockchain protocol is your applications running under? It's running under a proprietary blockchain protocol that's called RexChain. We started development of this in 2016, back when Ethereum was basically one year old and we, like, we didn't have the active space that, that we have today there on Ethereum. So we had to kind of develop something from scratch. We got funding from, from UNICEF 
uh, and some know-how from them and from the Ethereum Foundation to to develop the the first prototype and the production version of this blockchain. Can you give a brief history, maybe some explanation about what is Rexchain? So it's a implementation of the same ideas of the Bitcoin blockchain. So it's a UTXO model, proof of work, but it stores structured data instead of just numbers. So if you think it's, it's the same like input output model that Bitcoin works with, but these inputs and outputs have encoded data on them. So you can transfer this, this data through the encryption and decryption of these inputs and outputs. So essentially the same idea that, that the original blockchain implemented. Do you mine Rex coin and is there like a transaction bandwidth? We don't mine Rex coins like Rex coins, which is called the PRX token would be the NFTs. There's no reward for mining the tokens. What's minted are NFTs, right? So first time a prescription is instanced in the system, it's like a newly minted prescription. And after that it's transferred. So you have blocks that have a combination of like newly minted prescriptions and then transferred prescriptions that could be transferred from a doctor to a pharma lab, for example. Can you share more about how your data is stored and managed in terms of its data security? So the security would be the same as any blockchain, except that the algorithm that we use is RSA 2048-bit instead of elliptic curve cryptography. And this has to do with the existence of electronic signature laws in Mexico that use RSA 2048-bit encryption, which makes it interoperable. So, so the electronic signature that people get here in Mexico could be used as a wallet. And we developed this thinking that in the future, at some point, the government might want to implement this electronic signature uh, system to sign prescriptions. And if they did, we would be future compatible with that. Is there any sort of cloud data storage as well incorporated into parts of the application or any layers of the application? Not really. We've experimented with that. Uh, at some point, we had a pilot with actually with Genobank, which I think you're familiar with, to, to store and transfer some, some genomic data. And of course, genomic data is way too big to be stored on chain. So we had to implement a different layer and data was encrypted with some cryptographically related key from the private key of the, of the wallet that the doctor was creating, but it didn't take off. I think it, it was not a robust enough solution for what Daniel needed at that point. But it was, I think, the first or second MVP of his product. So Gino Beg actually interviewed Daniel Urebe on episode 48. So if anyone wants to listen to that, it's a good historical documentation of the thinking at the time. Uh, and you can watch and learn about how things have changed and evolved. Awesome. So... One big issue that we're still struggling with in this new crypto community is managing private keys and ensuring that it's not a point of failure, a large, important point of failure. So how is the private key management done on the Prescripto platform? So the Prescripto client that they use acts mm -hmm. as a wallet managing tool. So it's essentially how an exchange would, would do it. We don't think the doctors were ready to have a full-on wallet where they create their private key. I think the friction would be too much. There might be some advantages, but we just manage the keys. And if they want to export them, they can, but they don't do it. There, there's no reason why, why they would do it at this point. 
So you do the offer a, a mechanism for them to reset their password and get access to their account and in a typical Web2 fashion. Right. And there's, there's a standalone wallet where they could transfer data. So it's also an open source project. So people could build on that. I think at this point, the, the status of the ecosystem with doctors, they're in a very similar situation to where crypto people were uh, when I was working with this exchange in 2014, where it's kind of making the barrier of entrance lower and reducing the friction so that they can use the system. And once they understand the details of the system, then you can do some more interesting things with, with the wallet management. I think I would agree with that strategy because it is really difficult to explain to physicians. You mentioned Prescripto is open source. Is that the entire, all the software is open source? There are parts of the software that are not, but the blockchain mm -hmm. and a bunch of other things, like some parts of the documentation and some reference implementations that people can consult are open source. So basically the most important things that relate to the protocol of transferring information are open source. Got it. Okay. And in terms of tokenomics, I do know that Prescriptive does not have a financial token related to it. So there's nothing you can go and buy and invest in trade, right? But is there any other tokenomic factors that you've incorporated into the system at all? Yeah. The economics of it would be that as doctors create more prescriptions, they get more NFTs, which makes their contribution to the platform valuable and it, it makes this network effect where the early adopters have an incentive to keep using the platform and they have a stake in the system because they have all these prescriptions that are worth something. It's like a history similar to how the reputation system works with eBay and how it worked, right? But once you have this reputation built up in the system, it'd be harder for you to change to Amazon. So it's a similar system with that. It's more of a go-to-market strategy, a Web3 go-to-market strategy. And these are, as I was mentioning before, these are offered to pharmaceutical laboratories. We think that eventually there can be a financial coin that might be a stable coin, like a third-party stable coin. But the, the way that we do this right now, it's not necessary. And we're in the very early stages, as are most Web3 companies of validating whether this is a viable, long-term and sustainable go-to-market strategy. Right. Can you share some of your current projects that you have going on? Yeah. Many of our collaborations and integrations are, I would say, categorized in the, in the boring side of operational <laughs> stuff. Like integrating with, with Walmart Mexico is big, but it's not something that is sexy maybe for, for the Web3 community. It's sexy for the healthcare community, but you know, there's, there's a very small part where those two overlap. But yeah, we're collaborating with about 20 different telemedicine and EHR apps. Oh. You know, apart from, from Walmart, we have Fast Pharma, which was recently a part of YC. They have this dark store model, like a pharmacy dark store model that can fulfill the logistics of delivering the medication inside of a Mexico City metropolitan area in less than an hour. So it's like a really, really good alternative to actually walking to, to a pharmacy. So I'm just thinking about a partnership. What does that involve actually? So are you leveraging Walmart facilities and working with their pharmacies? Correct. This is a place where patients that receive prescripto prescriptions can go to to fulfill their prescription. Got it. I don't know how popular Amazon is in Mexico and Latin America, but is Amazon a 
competitor in your view? Because they are starting to sell or be part of the prescription marketplace? Not not in Mexico. Okay. The, in Mexico, Walmart is just kind of dipping its little toe into the water with retail. So they sell very, very few medications that are over the counter. And they, they've been very quiet about it, very slow. They haven't made many hires either. So I think they're taking it slow. But I, I would estimate that in the future, they'll be either a really good alliance or a really interesting competitor. <laughs> but they'll yeah. definitely be in the space, right? And you also have other partnerships with Doc Planner Group and the Pharma Pronto Group and Pharma Listo. Do you want to talk briefly about some of those? It's important for like the audience and community to understand these Web3 projects are real and there's real action happening here. Yeah, so there are two different categories of our collaborators. There's health records and telemedicine app or telehealth apps that are integrating with our prescription module. And that's Doc Planner. Doc Planner Group is a Polish company that has a very international strategy. They acquired a bunch of regional brands in strategic parts of the world where they're interested, Italy, Spain, and Mexico. And through these acquisitions, they've distributed their very, very good quality telehealth software. And this, this telehealth software in Mexico is the most popular and the one that has the deepest penetration. So we're happy to, to be providing uh, for them. In Mexico, the brand name that they use is Dr. Alia, which is to be uh, a Spanish company. And it, it's by far the biggest healthcare, health tech name in the, in the country. Because they've been around for, I don't know, maybe 12 years or something. They used to do something very different, but anyway, they, they're, they're a big brand. Yeah, those and, telehealth companies that started over 10 years ago, they had to struggle initially, but now I think everything, it's all paying off. Well, that, that's, that's the cool thing that Dr. Dalia didn't do telehealth. They did like Yelp for doctors, but they, you know, that was something that at that point, you know, it solved the problem, which was bringing these very slow to adopt users, which were doctors at that time into SEO, right? Into Google. So that if you searched for an ophthalmologist in Mexico city, you'd find one, they would take them online. And you know, in, in 2010, this was necessary. It's not as necessary today, but what Ducks Planner did was that they bought the brand. So they're using this brand to distribute their Polish built uh, telehealth product. You mentioned Pharmalisto and PharmaPronto. Pharmalisto was, I, I would say they were one of the first digital pharmacies. They, they were born as a health technology platform and product. So. You know, they have one of the best e-commerce sites. They, they're growing massively. They have uh, ties to the largest pharmacy chains in Mexico. They're the real thing. They're, they're very good. They, they were the first online pharmacy to, to actually take digital prescriptions. And Pharma Pronto is a pharmacy chain in Mexico that has the particularity that they're structured as kind of a network of independent pharmacies. So it was like a strategy for independent pharmacies to compete with pharmacy chains. So it, it, it has this grassroots movement energy to them. And because it's not like such a legacy system as some of the other pharmacies that are family owned businesses, family owned and operated businesses that are sometimes slower to move, 
not not that they're slow, but they're a little bit slower than, than the others. Well, Pharma Pronto has been able to move really, really swiftly. And they were the first pharmacy chain to to take e prescriptions. You know, like around when that was, I'm just trying to gauge like the adoption curve. This was June 2021. There's a problem of defining what e-prescriptions are in Mexico. And there are a bunch of different implementations, right? So an e-prescription, the, the way we define it, and an e-prescription has kind of two sides, the issuance or the creations and the fulfillment. And you can have electronic fulfillment with analog issued prescriptions, and you can also have electronic creation or issuance of a prescription that is analogically fulfilled, right? You can have both. For us, it's the, it's both things electronic, right? So what prescripted does is the, pres the prescription is created and signed electronically, and then it's fulfilled electronically. So it's completely paperless. In, in Mexico, there were like systems that are, are still in place with some public hospitals where the prescription is created electronically, but after it's created electronically, it's printed out and signed with a pen, like with the doctor will get a pen mm. and sign it. And then the patient will have to physically take that prescription to the pharmacy so that they can, you know, keep it for their books. So for some people, the prescription existed since then, but that was just the issuance part. They were not fulfilling. And there was also another system that has been working in Mexico since maybe eight years ago or something like that. And this is a system that works only for the most controlled substances. So for things like basically 99% of the time, they're only prescribed inside of a hospital. But sometimes some patients, you know, that, that are with very severe ailments, sometimes you need a very strong medication for those patients. And for these ones, there's a system that's, that, that is also called an electronic prescription system, but it's really just an electronically fulfilled prescription where the doctor will create a physical prescription that is filled out by hand with, with a pen. So he'll write the medication uh, by hand and he'll physically sign it, give it to the patient. The patient will travel physically to the pharmacy and then the pharmacy will use some software in the pharmacy to capture the data and basically control that that prescription is never fulfilled again. So you can see this both systems, right? Like the electronic issuance and the electronic fulfillment. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to explain. So I'm glad you did that. And I'm wondering if, you've encountered any sort of fraud or any sort of abuse. What's your experience been? From day one, we've attracted people that want fake prescriptions for many sorts of things. So we'll have people that want to buy recreational drugs. So they'll pretend to be a doctor so that they can purchase recreational drugs with a fake prescription. And because the system, the legacy system is so like feeble, Sometimes they don't need to, to breach us or to, you know, create a fake account to do this. There are YouTube videos in Mexico that take you step-by-step step on how to create a fake prescription. The protection mechanism that physical prescriptions have is basically the signature that you create on the piece of paper. And it's impossible for any like pharmaceutical clerk to audit whether that signature is real or not. So if you find like a word template of a prescription and you basically get your last prescription, you have all the tools you need to create a fake prescription and the people at the pharmacy will have no idea that it's fake. 
it's it's not a very high bar if you ask me. So digital prescriptions are way, way, way safer. Like even the weakest of implementations without blockchain and without mm -hmm. 2048 bit encryption, anything is safer. Like there's almost no security on that. It's very hard to know whether the system has been breached uh, as well. A bunch of other people are also trying to get sick days. Like a doctor would prescribe or recommend that the individual do not work for two weeks or something. Exactly. So a bunch of people are, are, are getting that, trying to, to get that on the system. So from the very early days, and actually, this is something that the learnings I had on the Bitcoin exchange as to how to perform KYC on, on customers, that was very, very helpful. Because we just implemented a very similar system in which we will ask for documentation. There's an automatic and manual verification on each profile that's created on the system. And is it connected or integrated into some government database as well or some registry for prescribers? Yeah. For in Mexico, it's not a prescriber thing. It's a professional ID thing. So there's like a database with professional IDs. You know, if you're an engineer, you'll also have use the same database, but you know, it has the information that validates whether a specific person is allowed to prescribe. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Today's news is about the $625 million worth of cryptocurrency that was stolen from Ronin the blockchain underlying popular crypto game Axie Infinity. Ronin and Axie Infinity operator Sky Mavis revealed the breach on March 29th and froze transactions on the Ronin bridge, which allows depositing and withdrawing funds from the company's blockchain. Although this breach isn't related to healthcare data, the Healthcare Web 3 industry should take note of the security failures that allowed the hacker to steal such a large sum of money. The operator, Sky Mavis, says it's working with law enforcement to recover 173,600 Ethereum, currently worth around $600 million and $25.5 million USDC from the culprit, who withdrew it from the network on March 23rd. The attack focused on the bridge to Sky Mavis's Ronin blockchain, an intermediary between Axie Infinity and other cryptocurrency blockchains like Ethereum. Users could deposit Ethereum or USDC to Ronin, then purchase non-fungible token items or in-game currency, or they could sell their in-game assets and withdraw the money. This model is not too different from how some Health Web 3 companies envision their patient health data in their hospital metaverse. According to Sky Mavis, an attacker used hacked private security keys to compromise the network nodes that validate transfers to and from the Ronin blockchain. That let the attacker quietly withdraw large quantities of Ethereum and USDC. In addition to compromising four of Sky Mavis's own nodes, the attacker exploited them to get access to one managed by the community-owned AXIDAO. After compromising five of the nine validator nodes, the attacker could effectively override any transaction security and withdraw whatever funds they liked. Sky Mavis says it will increase the required number of nodes to eight for transactions and it will reopen the Ronin bridge at a later date once it's certain no more funds can be drained. For now, the Ronin breach appears to be the largest hack to date of decentralized finance networks. Sky Mavis has pledged to reimburse players after hackers stole $625 million from the underlying Ronin blockchain. Moral of the story, decentralization matters for network security. Having more nodes on the network may have made it more difficult to gain full access. Also, it highlights the reliance on law enforcement for helping to track down the hacker. 
And now back to our interview with Everardo Barrelhaas, CEO of Prescripto. I have a few other questions around your team and your culture and just how you operate at Prescripto being like a Web3 organization. Can you share a little bit about your culture? Yeah, we're a fully distributed team. Since March 2020, we went fully remote. We actually had an offsite two weeks ago, and it was the first time I saw them in for like two years. There, there were some people that I hadn't seen before, like some new hires. It was it was really, really cool to be able to work in the same physical space, even if it was just for a couple of days again. We, we're a very engineered-centered technology development and engineering is our hammer. So there are a bunch of things that we've solved this way, even in sales, like a bunch of automation that we've done. The last engineering hire that we made was in 2019. So we've worked together for a long time. We're like a, a, a team that knows precisely how to communicate with each other. There's a lot of confidence around us. There's a lot of freedom to make decisions downstream. We want people to learn when they're working with us. So there's also like lessons and classes that people can take that are surrounding the work that we do. We, we like people to take risks and to, we like to, for them to be okay to fail. Like if, if you fail doing something, it's okay. Just get up and do it again. This is, this is how our culture is, I think. Do you have any positions available or open for Maybe some listeners who might be interested. Are you looking for more talent? Yes, but not on the engineering side. On the sales side, we are looking for, for someone who can bridge the gap between the healthcare knowledge and connections and interactions with pharmaceutical industry and like technology. People like this are in extremely high demand for almost any company because, you know, Web3 or not, like the state that companies are in, the problems are not technological anymore. I think it's Benedict Evans who, who, who said this, like Netflix doesn't solve technological problems. It solves TV problems, right? The, the Amazon solves retail problems. It's not about the technology anymore. It's about the industry specific knowledge that you can get in some industries and health is one of them. They've been so far away from technology that these profiles are sparse, far in between. Yeah, I understand that. It's a good point. Can you share a little bit about maybe your investors and your overall community and Prescripto, your supporters? Yeah, sure. So we've raised grants from the Ethereum Foundation, from UNICEF, from the Algorand Foundation, from the Mexican government. We started in 2016 and at this point, both crypto and health technology were very early, right? So at that point, we had to raise from angels because venture capital was not there yet. Even like for the crypto exchanges for Bitso, that's like the largest growing startup in Mexico and has been for like the past couple of years, we're having a really rough time racing in 2016. I think they raised their first round in 2017, the first significant round anyway. So we had to raise from a bunch of angels, some, some really, really, really cool guys like Jose Bielma from, from Guadalajara. And he's one of the most prolific angels in Mexico. He has you know, a, a really cool portfolio of, of startups and he's, he's a really cool guy to work with too. Very, very well connected, very knowledgeable. We've also raised from 500 startups. I think the, the most recent one was Magma Partners, which is a Latin wide fund, VC fund. They're, they're also like for, for Latin, they're amazing. If you can check out Nathan Lustig too, this guy 
these guys rule. They're they're very very good. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of backers and supporters. So that's really important because you know if you think about the network effect here, it's not just who's using your products, but also who's sort of promoting your idea, your concept, your user interface, etc. So that's great. What's your roadmap look like for the rest of 2022 and, and beyond? Yeah, what we're trying to do for, for 2022 is take this Web3 approach that we've already implemented in the code and actually communicate it mm. so that people can really understand what we're doing. And this, this requires a lot of copywriting and a lot of marketing strategy. But the good thing is that we've, we've done a lot of like hard work through the years. So the, the technological part is, is already done and we just have to expand on the communication. How do you plan on doing that? Any unique tactics that you have in mind? Yeah. Training. You could call it webinars, but more they're, they're focused on, on training and education, like seminars. But people that need to un understand this on our end are kind of like academic stuff, both doctors and pharmaceutical uh, executives, like pharmaceutical industry executives. They're used to learning things in a you know, high level academic place. Right. So we're thinking about creating some classes to get them there and then kind of make them understand how this is clearly the future of healthcare data. So I have a few personal questions. Who is your favorite business leader in history or now that has influenced you? I like Jim Clark, the founder of Netscape Silicon Graphics, the guy that discovered Mark Andreessen. So, you know, that, that says a lot. And did you know that he created WebMD? So he had like two really strong home runs, like Silicon Graphics, Netscape. And the next thing he did was he just looked at gross domestic product in the US, looked at the percentage that was being spent on health and said, there's a business here. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to do it. And he created this company called Healthion. Healthion was acquired by I think it was first Microsoft, but something in like one and a half years. And he co-founded this company with about three or four Indian developers, I think from Hyderabad, that were like rockstar developers. And they built like the entire experience from scratch, like a, a massive product. And it ended up becoming, part of that went to SureScripts and part of that went to WebMD. Hmm. And WebMD, I think sold again in like 2018 or something, still a massive company. That's an impressive portfolio of work he's done. So it's a good choice. What habits do you have that keep you healthy? Working out and mountaineering. Well, for me, working out means going outdoors, uh, either riding a bicycle, a rope, or mountain bike, or uh, trekking and climbing. There's a, this risk assessment thing that you don't get on almost anywhere else. Like people that surf get it, climbing gets you that too, but really getting yourself familiarized with the level of risk that, that you're willing to take and assuming that risk. And I think this is a very important thing to know when you're building a, a startup, uh, actually almost any mm -hmm. company gives you a sensi sensitivity and sensibility to, to the things that you want to do and what the risk entails. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if many entrepreneurs tend to take on some sports or activities that are generally more risk risky you can say in in the valley for sure like in silicon valley yeah that's true but not not anywhere else like you know 
Mexico City is now attracting many, many people from from like expats from the US, from Canada, from Europe. It's a great city, but it really takes a huge commitment to do outdoor activities in Mexico City. So I, I don't think it's as popular here as it is in, in some places in the US. Like, like if you think about two of the most important hubs, like Seattle and San Francisco, they're both surrounded by nature. So I would say if you don't surf, if people don't surf there, they rock climb, and if not, they at least trick. <laughs> well, Everardo... This has been an outstanding conversation. We covered a lot of information. We talked about Prescripto. We talked about the prescription market in Mexico, Latin America, some of the partnerships you have, which are really amazing and impressive. Do you have any final takeaways for the audience? No, just, you know, check us out. Yeah. And I'll make sure to link your contact information, like your LinkedIn and your website in the show notes. So if anyone is interested, they can easily just go there, click on it. I'm sure that there's lots of opportunities for young salespeople, right? And for your case to get involved. So thank you again. Really appreciate it. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.